Is that the right one? Can you hear me? All right. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday. Isn't it nice to be able to say happy Sunday and the sun is actually outside? Yes, that is a treat for us. All of you guys that are uh, living in Chicago now, the sun has been in hibernation, but it is back. Well, guys, as Pastor Rollins said, uh, my name is Cole. I'm going to be sharing with you today, um, and we'll just we'll hop right into it. Uh, but first, I just wanted to, uh, what is going on there? All right. That was not supposed to happen first. Let's see. First things first is be able to read your notes. I think, hold on, I think I got it. Yeah. Is it? Okay. Okay. My iPad must be really heavy <laughs> or something. Okay. I think we got it. Okay. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's start again. My name is Cole. I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. If you've been following us either on the podcast or you've been here with us the last couple of weeks, you guys know that we have been in the book of Ezra, and we have made it all the way through 1 through 4, and we are now in Ezra chapter 5. And I felt like before we really got started, the Lord wanted to address something that has been in some of our hearts about... Um, about God's Word in general, right? Because if we don't have a faith in God's Word, it really doesn't matter what we're saying and teaching from God's Word. And so I feel like he wanted to remind us that the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. If we do not build on what God has already given us, the New Testament will not stand and it will crumble. And so I feel like the Lord just wanted to say that. Um, and that's based out of 2 Timothy where he says that all Scripture is God-breathed. And that includes the Old Testament. Because what he was talking about when he said that was what? They didn't have the New Testament and then at that point. It was still coming together and being written and everything. So they had the Old Testament. So that's what he was talking about. So I want to encourage all of you in your personal study to dig in to the Old Testament and learn from what God has given us there. All right? Okay. Sounds good. Okay, guys. Now, in the Old Testament, there is, or in the New Testament as well, there's so much historical context that we can pull when we do our research. So if you've ever really dug into the context for the, the verses, dug into the context for the book itself, uh, the context of salvation, uh, uh, metatheology over the course of time, it is when you're trying to boil it down to like a 20-minute talk, it is like going to the grocery store. Imagine this. Going to the grocery store... Reading the label on every single product in that grocery store and then try to bring it back and share it in 20 minutes. That is difficult. So guys, what I'm saying is, whenever Pastor Ron, myself, or anybody that is up here preaching and teaching is doing, we are giving you an appetizer. Okay? We are giving you the highlights. There is so much more that God has for us. So I'm calling you back to God and back to his word when you are not here. So when you go home from here, I want you to remember this as first fruits. No matter what Cole says, I want you to be a Berean in the New Testament. I want you to go search it out. I want you to go dig. I want you to have your own personal relationship with God and his word. Okay? Got to get some amens. I agree? Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Okay. So we're going to go back and do just a little bit of background work here and recap shortly from what we learned in Ezra 1 through 4. 
So what we learned in Ezra 1 through 4 is that the Israelites, they've been disobedient to God and they got exiled into Babylon for 70 years as was prophesied by Jeremiah. That's why we need to know the Old Testament because of the prophets because they tell us that God doesn't do anything without first announcing it to his prophets. So that's why we can trust that this is God at work because it has already been told about and now it is coming to fruition. That is how we know that the author and object of our salvation, Jesus, is who he says it is because God's been talking about it since the beginning of time, even from Genesis until now. So we need to know those things. So Jeremiah prophesied that they would be exiled in Babylon for 70 years and this happened when the king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came in, deported them, took them out of the land. But we know in God's view side, it wasn't because the king overpowered them. It was because God delivered them up because of their disobedience. And so he was disciplining his children. Okay, And then, in short, they had stored up wrath for themselves over many years and even generations of worshiping uh, outside of the law and worshiping other gods that are out there. So, now what is going on? After the 70 years of being exiled, and this is a key point we need to take home, God is always working in the background, okay? When you think God has abandoned you, I want you to kind of replace that with God is disciplining you. He's disciplining you as a loving father disciplines the children that he loves so that they will not go back and repeat the same things that get them in the same mess Okay, so God had not abandoned his chosen people. He was disciplining them. Even though we, when we are faithless, he is faithful. And he is faithful to his promises. And he's even faithful to his promises to discipline us for our benefit. I know I don't like to hear that, but it is true. And those of you that are parents, you know you have to follow through on what you say. Otherwise, they will not listen to you next time. They have no reason to. So that is why God does that. It's because he loves us and he's God. He knows what's best. Okay, then moving on from there, he was working in the background, so he was orchestrating in the affairs of men for Israel's benefit. He put King Cyrus in place. You guys remember hearing about him, right? Okay, what did King Cyrus do? King Cyrus made a decree. He said that the God of heaven has told me to go build a house for his name. And so, what did that mean? That mean that the Jews were at the end of their 70 years. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So there was joy, there was escalation in their hearts. They were so excited, they began to go back. But even, not only that, but because God not just wants to release us from our discipline, but he actually wants to help us get to where he wants us to go. So what did King Cyrus do? He said, hey, I want all the people that are around the Jews that God has stirred in their hearts to go back and worship me according to the way that I want them to, by building a temple so my presence can be there and I can be worshipped. I want you to help them. I want you to give them gold and silver and, and uh, sacrifices so they can take it back. So what does that mean to us today? When God is calling you back from wherever you have been in your life, not living for him, he is going to provide what you need to go back there. Okay, He's going to provide it by his hand, by his strength, by his power. He never calls us to do something that he is not going to help us accomplish. Because Lord forbid we ever say, I made it there on my own, right? Yeah, God exalts the humble and opposes the proud. I heard it back there. Good job. So he keeps us humble by his generosity toward us as well. 
Okay, so they get back to Jerusalem, and lo and behold, they're full of zeal. They're excited. First thing they do after they, like, get their apartments in place, (laughs) they go over there, and they rebuild the altar because the altar is where you worship. So they do that. What is the next thing they do? They build the foundation to the temple. Then what do they do? They party because you got to have some festivals in there, right? But they were the festivals that God had commanded, and so they party. And then, after that, when they're at the height of their joy, it's been 70 years, we're finally back. Some of us have died off, but some of us made it. God is good. He is faithful. Woo! Oh, no. We're getting accused of being seditious, of being wicked and trying to usurp the very king that came in and did this for us, who let us come here. So a letter is written, goes back to the king, um, goes back to a new king, Artaxerxes, because times do change. And this new king was not favorable because of their adversaries. He says, put an end to it. They go back there. The adversaries, with force and power, put an end to the building of the temple. Okay, this is your opportunity now to enter in. Okay? to enter in to what the Israelites are feeling. I want you to think of a time where you've been waiting for something for so long that God has promised. And then it looks like it's going to come to pass. It's partially fulfilled, and then something unthinkable happens. That is not your fault. You didn't bring it on yourself this time. What do you feel? Kind of anger at first, like, I don't deserve this. I was doing right this time. If some of you are like me, somebody that has, in the past, suffered with depression, you don't necessarily get angry, but you just, you get sad. You get discouraged, and you're like, but God, I thought I was doing it right this time. What happened? What did I do? And you start going on this endless search of why this has happened. And I like to use the, the sanctified imagination from the Holy Spirit to think that between the year 537 B.C., when they got back and started building, and they only had two years to build, mind you, so 70 years of being in exile and then two years of being to build, and they get stopped just after two years. And then there is 16 years of no progress going forward when what God has called them to. 16 years. What can happen in 16 years? You can have a kid at year number one, and then at 16, they're driving a car. That's a long time for somebody to grow and mature like that, right? You can get married. You can, have, you can have kids like we were talking about. There's a lot of things that can happen in 16 years. But imagine 16 years of self-introspection, 16 years of anger, of bitterness, all these things that lead to a one word that I want you to remember that I believe covers it all. They were so discouraged. They were just discouraged beyond belief. More than any of us, I think, have ever been discouraged. Because it's more discouraging when you know God has called you to do something, it's been confirmed by the testimony of two to three witnesses, or even a whole bunch of people. It's written in God's word because it was, it was prophesied by the prophets of old, and it still isn't happening So enter in to the condition of the Israelites and then think about when you have been there. 16 years of discouragement. 
what I want to point out in terms of Bible study, because you're going to go home and you're going to read your Bibles and begin to feed your souls on the Word of God, is that this 16 years happened in the white space. If you have your Bible out and you look at it, the very last verse in chapter 4 and the very first verse in chapter 1, there's white space in between those verses on the page. That's a 16-year gap. That is a long time, and we miss that so easily when we're thinking about how God works with people. 70 years in exile, 16 years in the gap. Okay, doesn't mean that God was silent. And how do we know that God was silent? Good question. Here's how we know. And we move on to chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Now the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem, in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. Thank God for the prophets, the prophets of old, and the gift of prophecy that we have now that's listed in Corinthians, which said is for the encouragement and the edification of the church. Yes, that is a spiritual gift that is in operation today, and we are told to desire it more than any other gift. Because God cares about not only the glory of his name, but he cares about the well-being of his most prized and precious possession, his chosen people. Amen? Amen. And if you don't believe that, you don't have the heart of God yet. That's okay. Jesus can give it to you. He's working on it in me more and more every day. Because the more you love, the more you have to lay down your life for the people around you. And so it is hard. (laughs) But you know what? With God, all things are possible. And by his spirit, he will not only help you do it, but he'll help you enjoy doing it too. Okay, so my question as I was reading this, because you know as you're reading the Bible, you're asking questions like, what does this mean? Who is Haggai? Who's this Hag? Who is uh, Zechariah? Or is that, is that like the long name for Zach? And so I'm going to give you a really easy tip when you go home and study the Bible. If you want to know who Haggai and Zechariah are, You simply turn to the book of Haggai. In the book of Zechariah, okay, Haggai is only two chapters. Now, be encouraged by this as well. Those two chapters barely equal two pages. Barely. Okay, and we're getting ready to learn what Haggai set in motion by his preaching. So what I'm saying, and what God is saying here is that it doesn't matter how long you speak, It doesn't matter how much you know. It matters that you've heard from God and that you deliver it in the right timing when he has said to deliver it. You want to know something else that's cool about Haggai, this this prophet? Haggai, according to the records of history, we do not know who he is. We do not know his genealogy. He's not listed in the genealogy of the priests. Who gave him this authority? God did. That's right. And you know what's really cool? When you research Zechariah up there, you know what line he's in? He's in the priestly line. So you got one guy that's never been heard of and one guy that is in the priestly line who it's his job. Okay? Now think about timing again. Haggai started prophesying first. 
Doesn't say when Haggai showed up on the scene. He may have been there for 20 years. He may have came back with the first wave of exiles. We don't know. But we do know that Zechariah came back with Zerubbabel, if you remember. That was one of the leaders that came back who's uh, the governor. He was in the line of David. So he could have been the king if they got the temple rebuilt. And they may have, he could have been, and what they were thinking back then, been the Messiah, because they didn't know back then who it was going to be. So you would have think it would have been Zechariah first, the one who was, uh, had all the right credentials in the prominent priestly line, but it was not. It was Haggai that started prophesying first. And he's the one that set in motion the rebuilding of the temple after 16 years of discouragement. I don't know about you guys, but that gets me super excited, super duper excited. Because I don't have a lot of credentials, at least in my own mind. But you know what I know? I know that God has called me to do certain things, and that's enough. Do you know that? Do you know what God has called you to do? Well, I'm going to tell you what he has called you to do. I may not know in terms of Ephesians 2.10 the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do, such as, I don't know if you're called to politics. I don't know if you're called to the marketplace. I don't know if you're called to ministry. We can talk about it and pray about it, and maybe, maybe I'll know. But I know that you are called to worship God, number one, in spirit and truth, through faith in Jesus Christ, okay? And you are called as a Christian to rebuild the temple. Okay, now you may be asking, Cole, that's in the Old Testament, dude. You know we don't do no temple worship now? What is this temple you're talking about? Well, that is also very clearly explained. So, in the New Testament where we're at now, there is a temple that is talked about. And that temple has a cornerstone. And that cornerstone where everything is held together, all the weight of the entire structure is placed on this cornerstone. And if you don't know how a cornerstone works, you can talk to my wife. She's an architect. She can tell you all about that stuff. Okay? Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in the new temple. Okay? Now, the foundation back in their time was laid. Remember, they did the altar, they did the foundation, but the temple had not been built yet. What is the foundation here and now? The foundation is the prophets. Remember how important they are because of what we just talked about? And the apostles as well. They come together. And what do they testify about? Come on, you're in church. You probably know the answer. Jesus! Jesus! Okay, this whole story of the Israelites and about their being called by God to be to be the light of God to the nations, to show how good he is and his salvation that is in him. We are called to do that by building this new temple. Now, I got to tell you guys, I was like, well, wait a minute. I know the word says that I am the temple of God. So he's inside of me. Okay, get that. But once again, study your Bible. When you go to Corinthians... And I believe I have it down here. I don't know if I gave it to you guys to put on the screen, though. But here we go. 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Okay? This is Paul. 
he's talking to the Corinthians. So that's called 1 Corinthians. He says, do you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. That's good news. And guys, I think I'm going to have to study Greek, because you know what I found out about Greek? That word right there. No, uh, can you get back one verse? To 16? Okay. That word right there, you. You know I have an accent. That's because I'm from the south. We have a word in the south you do not have here. Y'all. That's right. In Greek, the you is plural. Do you know y'all are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in y'all? If a brick is missing in that temple, what happens to the spirit? It leaks out. You want to be filled with the spirit? Guys, you have to get in community. That is how you build the temple. You get, you okay, First, your heart gets right. That's the altar. It's the altar of your heart. You make spiritual sacrifices. Romans 12, 1 through 2. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And here's the kicker. So clear. This is your spiritual act of worship. I'll say it again. This is your spiritual act of worship. If what you believe and what you put on that altar doesn't translate out into what you do and what you say and how you live, something's missing. Something is missing. So that was my favorite point of the message because I got to say y'all. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> okay. Okay, so going on from there. God doesn't miss a beat, okay? We're only really talking about two verses today. Ezra 5, 1, and 2. Okay, you guys want to know what Haggai's name means? Because all these names have meanings. Haggai's name means festival, like festival. Feastal, maybe. Like feasting, right? They all kind of are linked together somewhere back there in the etymology world. Okay, so this guy who shows up on the scene, we don't know who he is, where he's from, but he's a prophet, and he's named like festival, basically. Why does God do that? Because he wants his people to know, hey, if you return to me when I call you out of this 16 years of neglecting the temple, okay, I know you were discouraged, but you know what? I want you to know there's a festival coming. If you will, and we're going to get into Zechariah in just a second, if you will leave building your own life separate from my big picture kingdom building activities, there's going to be a festival that's going to be better than any party you can throw on your own. Can I get an amen? amen. Do you believe it? Yes. Great. So the main things that you need to know about Haggai and his message, which once again, just go read it. It's two short chapters. The main point of Haggai's message to them when they were in that 16 years of discouragement is that rebuilding the temple will mediate God's presence and all that comes with him. So imagine this. In 16 years, if you're not doing the one thing that God says, if you do this, 
you will have not only me, but you'll have all the gifts that come along with me, and you'll be blessed. That, I, just, I think there's only one word for that, because that's the whole reason you left the place you were in exile at was to worship God and to be with him, and the only place his presence is back then is in the temple, is that you were deceived. You, like, there is a stronghold that is there. And God made it clear when preparation for this message that today is the day. He is going to break that stronghold in your life if you want him to. He's going to open your eyes, and he's going to let you taste and see that God is good. The word says that it is his kindness that draws us to repentance. And print, think of repentance as returning. If you've been out there building your own life for 16 years, and yes, it was discouragement that was causing you to do it, and I understand, boy, have I been there. Boy, have I been there. Just turn around, and there's a festival waiting on the other side, and he's going to help you do it. Now, some of you are saying, I do not have the power, the strength to do that. I am so beat down. I am so tired. I cannot pick myself up right now. Okay, well, I have good news for you. Number one, one of the things that Haggai prophesied is that if you say in your heart to do this and you consider your ways and you're not happy with the ways that you have and it does not line up with the promises that God made, then I'm going to help you. It says that when the people feared the Lord, when they heard that they needed to repent from trying to build their own lives first instead of the temple. They had it backwards. That when they obeyed him, it showed that they feared him. And then Haggai immediately says after that, and the reason I say that, guys, is because the, the fear of the Lord just gets thrown around and out of context. People don't know what it means. Yes, God is to be feared because he's the most powerful being that's ever been that created everything and could just destroy it with a snap like if he wanted to, but he doesn't. Because he's kind. So yes, he's worthy of fear. But we fear him because he's faithful. We fear him because he follows through on what he says. That's why, And that's a great thing. He's the most dependable person, so to speak, that we have ever, ever met. But the Lord says, and this is the, the words it says, Then Haggai prophesied, I am with you, declares the Lord. The moment, the very moment that you turn in your heart and decide to start putting God first, to start living God's way, which we know now is what Jesus has said. When you live following Jesus, he is with you, okay? If you feel distant from God, it's a quick fix. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, if you're feeling distant from God, it is a quick fix. You just turn around. He says, I am there. I am with you. You guys remember the prodigal son? Yeah? You guys remember that picture after the prodigal son had just squandered all of his inheritance? Basically, he exiled himself, <laughs> uh, went out and did that. When he came back, the father did not be like, nope, you wait out there for a little bit. Nope, the father ran to him and met him before he even got there. He saw him way off in the distance, and he ran to him. That's the heavenly father. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you're reading the Old Testament, I challenge you to ask yourself, how does this reveal Jesus to me? Okay? Because it's all about him. 
He's the cornerstone. So I challenge you to ask that question moving forward. Okay, now, Zechariah, the other dude. Here's a little bit about Zechariah. Sorry, I keep trying to call him Zechariah. I never met Zechariah. Zechariah growing up, just Zach's. So he was a priest from a prominent family that came back at the beginning. He had been there for 20 years. We know that because he came back with Zerubbabel. Um, I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> he must have just got called up in the daily grind of the sacrifices. Because think about this. Even during those 16 years where they weren't seeking God first, they were basically going to church every Sunday. <gasps> what do you mean, Cole? Why do you say that? Okay, guys, they built the altar. Remember? They built the altar. They laid the foundation. They just didn't finish the temple. It says when they built the altar, they were doing sacrifices morning and evening. I, don't, I personally don't believe that stopped because they left and went all the way from Babylon. They were zealous for God and his ways. I don't think they stopped that part. And I think, it, like, do we have that video? I imagine it looked a little bit like this, and they just got weary with it, though. Time to make the donut. The donut. It isn't easy owning a Dunkin' Donut. Time to make the donut. Because unlike most supermarkets, we make our donuts fresh day and night. But the guys who make supermarket donuts are still in bed. Plain donuts aren't enough. Five kinds. Of course, when you make donuts this good. Of course, when you make... 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 Of course, when you make donuts this good, there is one reward. They taste so great. Good morning, folks. People buy an awful lot of them. Guys, have you ever been in that, that mode when you're just so discouraged that you're just doing it over and over and over and over and over? But you know what's the right thing to do? You know there's going to be something good at the end. I think they just that's what they got stuck in. And I think we can all relate with that. Okay, that's why God sent the prophets. So Zechariah... He'd been there for 20 years. He was probably doing that because he was a priest. He started his prophetic ministry a few months after Haggai, two months is what the records say. And here's what's so cool. You know what his name means? Yahweh remembers. Ooh. So Haggai is basically festival, festival. And Zechariah is Yahweh remembers. So when the people or at their like lowest discouraging point after their high, because usually uh, after you have a really high high of excitement, what happens? You crash, right? Like in the body, like when you have a lot of sugar or caffeine, or both mixed together. <laughs> you feel good for a little bit, and then you crash after that. And so God in his compassion, okay, and his loving discipline encouraged them to complete the work by sending them prophets named festival and Yahweh remembers he sees you he has not forgotten the promises you just need to turn around and so I just want to share with you real quick and we're going to wrap up what characterized the ministry of Zechariah to the people of Israel to encourage them okay he reminded them of God's promises sounds a little backwards he reminded them of God's promises by reminding them of the previous generation's failures Nobody wants to be reminded of their failures. But because there's only one way to come to Jesus Christ, that cornerstone, and it is through repentance. And you can't, you can't repent unless you know what you need to repent of. Amen? So the next time 
Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. Jeremiah's the weeping prophet. I'm the weeping preacher. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so the next time <laughs> you hear that voice reminding you of a failure, uh, it could be the accuser, but it may be the kind voice of God saying, hey, I'm, I'm just reminding you because I want you to not go back there. I don't want you to, like Proverbs says, be a dog returning to its vomit. Pretty graphic, right? That's what he does for us when he does that. Um, so he did that. And when he did that, it says that the people repented and they turned around. So that means that their hearts were soft. I think that Haggai softened up their hearts as well. So that's why guys, God sent two, right? Because mercy doesn't give up the first time. You ever, have you ever been the person or had a friend that they were just, like, they're so discouraged. Like, you go once, you're like, leave me alone. I'm in my cave. I like my cave. I like it dark. I like it damp. I like it alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> We've all been there and had friends like that. But God knows mercy goes back again. So what can we learn as ministers of the gospel, of mercy and grace? Don't you give up. Don't you give up on yourself. And as you're asking God for that gift of prophecy that encourages and builds up, don't you give up on those who seem like they're just, they're just lost, they're not worth it. I am guilty of that. I confess it first because I got so much to do. I got a job. I got a wife. I got a family down in North Carolina. I got a call every week. I got, you, I mean, you know what I mean? We just always think of something. But if it's important to God, it should be important to us. And so the one thing I want you guys to take away from this, and we'll wrap up, is that if you are discouraged and you have been following Jesus, get in his word, get encouragement, and get around the people of God. Because God can speak to you through his word, and he can speak to you through his people, and he can also speak to you when you're alone, but... He has already prescribed ways to get filled up. And as Pastor Rollins said last week, he said, for those who are struggling, we minister to them. And for those that are doing well, we build with them. Okay? So I pray that you would be able to know your brothers and your sisters around you and be able to tell the difference. Because God is building a temple. Look around right now. Each one of you, if you've laid the foundation of Christ in your life, you are a block in that temple that he is building. And do not be discouraged if it's taken longer than you think, okay? Either with yourself or with the people around you because Jesus is interceding forever at the right hand of God. And you know how long this work is going to take? Until he comes back. Do you know when that is? Nobody knows when that is. No. So what do we do in the meantime? We worship and we build the temple of God's people. Amen? And if you have any questions about that, just talk to somebody around you and say, who is Jesus? How do we, like, like how do we build on that rock? We can explain all that to you. So let's pray and then the worship team uh, can come up. Yeah.
Well, Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the prophets and the apostles that you have sent. We thank you for the prophets who have encouraged your people all throughout history so that Jesus could come through the messianic line of David. And we declare and we confess with our mouth, Jesus, you are the cornerstone. You are the rock which everything else is built on. The entire universe is built on you. God, we pray that you would encourage right now those that are, if they feel like they've been gone for 16 years, they're tired of going around the mountain, they're tired of just going through the, the routines of coming to church every Sunday, Lord, they're tired of just making the, the sacrifices that are routine. God, we pray now that you would encourage them by your spirit, Lord. We pray that you would send your uh, modern-day New Testament prophets with the encouragement of your word on their lips to speak it into their hearts, God. And we pray that you would deliver them from the hand of the devil that came to kill, steal, and destroy, and that you would give them life, and that you would give it to them abundantly. We just call all those chains broken right now in Jesus' name. If you need that, if you need that, just say amen with me, because that means so be it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God.